Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Tyler? David. I'm David. Yeah. You're Tyler. I forgot. This isn't how we do it. Um, let's get started. we got a lot of movies to talk about. Well, you do. <laughs> yeah. But real quick, I wanted to mention to the listener, or remind the listener, that it's not too late to start your own fantasy uh, awards league. That's true. Uh, all the materials and rules are on our website um, to run the league yourself. You can download them. Uh, there's a button for a suggested donation if you want. Because if you're uh, into that kind of thing. We, by which I mean Tyler and Scott, put a lot of work into <laughs> into this. Um, and Julie. Um making the making the spreadsheet spreadsheets so um uh yeah it's not too late we had our draft yeah do how do you feel like now that we've got a few days on it how do you feel about your picks um i don't feel awful i think i i know i know that i went too far in on three billboards because i have like four of the 12 picks or three billboards but um, the one thing that I think that I have that a lot of people, you know, you know, you know, okay. When we do the draft mm-hmm. and you'd like name a thing, whenever a bunch of people go like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, yeah. like, oh, you got a, a good one. There was one that no one did that on, but I think I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Which was, um, for my, my best actor picked. Pick, no, that's a good pick. Uh, Hugh Jackman for the greatest showman. No one, it seemed, didn't seem to be on anyone's list or radar or whatever, but I he think he was it, like third or fourth on my okay. list for actor. In fact, I think he was third behind Gary Oldman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, but then you had taken him by then. Um, I'm along those lines. Like the fact that no one was like upset by my catch all pick, which was the greatest showman, which uh-huh. I think is not a bad pick. No, I don't think so at all. Yeah. But like, and I picked it for best score because it is an original score and it's a musical. And I thought, like, why is no one upset by this? Like, this is a musical. Hollywood likes musicals. Am yeah. I way off on this? <laughs> yeah, and so, you got the potential for original song there. Multiple possibilities. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, because I had La La Land for my catch-all last year, and oh, right. I got two different That's song right. nominations right. so that was pretty good yeah i've got battle of the sexes for my catch-all which i think is you know period pieces are generally not a bad bet yeah but i think one thing that happened between our draft and um us recording this which we'll get to in a little bit is that i saw darkest hour and i'm like fuck darkest hour is a good catch-all pick but i think somebody somebody has it right yeah yeah someone yeah, did get okay. it all right uh, that's enough shop talk but you could have all kinds of fun talk like this with your uh <laughs> lame movie friends like we have with, like, with each other indeed um uh, I just go like to the, to the, the fantasy couple, award league over the last couple of years you've you're more okay with like talking about it on the show i was such i well i didn't participate the first two years you did it i was a skeptic i definitely thought um, and I still kind of think that the draft is too early. Um, it, yes, it could be. Uh, you know, uh, I guess I just think like, um, yeah, it, it, I wish I wish I knew more. But then I also think it levels the playing field more that, you know, because there are some people in our on our in our league that pay less attention than uh, I mean, certainly there are people like you and Scott and Julie and Jason who pay more attention than I do. And there are some people who pay even less attention than I than I do um, to 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 award type of stuff. But if you do it, even if you even if we waited two weeks, you know, to do it, like even if we wait until you know, first Saturday of November or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, a lot of movies are, are coming out by then. Like yeah. for example, I saw three billboards before we did the draft uh-huh. and 
I didn't care for it. Uh-huh. Eh, yeah. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but the thing is this, it's getting, you know, tons of, of buzz yeah. and positive reviews. My seeing it is throwing me off. Okay. Like I still picked Francis McDormand for actress, but I didn't, but I was conflicted in doing so. Well, that's okay. one thing I've, so, I've learned from past years is I got to stop going with the stuff that I think is yeah. good because I end up getting bit. Or what happens is, you know this, but this is for the listeners who care about the Fantasy Awards League. It's so much fun, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I consistently lead the pack early because you got the critics stuff because I end up picking stuff that, and the, and the critics awards happen first. And so I'm like yeah. racking up. Like when I had like Rooney Mara for Carol, I was like, this is my golden goose. Yeah. Just racking it up. And then like, once it got to the, the bigger point, you know, uh, the guild awards and the yeah. Oscars and golden globes, it just like petered out. Yeah. Every once in a while, there'll be one, like a, a few years ago, I had Kate Blanchett for blue Jasmine uh-huh. and I just, every time there was a new thing, I just laughed like a main, like, <laughs> like C Montgomery burns, uh, because it's like, ah, I, I picked the perfect one yeah. because it got everything. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty rare. Although I do think that, uh, something like, like Gary Oldman for darkest hour or my number one pick that I wasn't able to get, uh, was Willem Dafoe. It's oh, an indie for, film, for so it'll yeah. get the indie stuff, it'll get the industry stuff, and it'll get the critic stuff. I feel like that is, I forget, I think Scott got him, and that is a golden goose. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry, um, everybody. I'm trying to remember who I have for supporting actor then. Who did I end up with? I don't remember. Did you have army hammer i really don't remember i have michael stuhlbarg i had do you have oh i have sam rockwell yeah that's a good bet okay all right let's talk about movies speaking of awards contenders i I watched the netflix documentary called icarus that's a best documentary contender i guess have you heard of icarus i've heard of it yes do you know what it's about no uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's it's about the video game kid Icarus. uh, It's not about that at all. Um, it's one of those documentaries that I was like, while I was watching, I was like, wow, like, I can't believe he got all this stuff. I can't believe this happened. And then what's it over? I was like, okay, that was, you know, I guess I learned a lot, but it's like, it's not a groundbreaking documentary Mm -hmm. or anything, but in some cases it is because it got, but in terms of like, uh, uh, aesthetic worth, you know, or, just like uh great cinema mm-hmm. it, it's not but uh, here's the thing like basically imagine morgan spurlock sets out to make supersize me right okay and then stumbles upon a conspiracy to put chemicals in mcdonald's food or something like in the process of making his very high concept documentary happens to make something like find something crazy okay icarus is essentially is essentially that this guy who wanted to prove how easy it is to beat um uh anti-doping testing and rules in in international sports and cycling particularly Mm -hmm. um because he was looking at like the fact that Lance Armstrong admitted once yeah. his teammates ratted him out that he was that he was doping, uh, but also the fact that Lance Armstrong was tested like hundreds of times and never failed the drug test, mm. and he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna prove how easy to, you know how easy it is." So he gets like some consultants who are like, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll agree to 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 do this." Um, and one of the consultants is a guy who's with the U S anti-doping and he kind of gets cold feet and he's like, I'm not entirely sure I'm okay with this anymore, but let me put you in touch with one of my friends. He's one of the leading anti-doping, you know, um, doctors, um, in the world. He's a Russian guy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, so he, this guy, so he's helping, uh, and then this expose comes out and, uh, it turns out this guy was like specifically selected by Putin and his team to like fake drug tests for the Olympics and other international, international sports. This guy ends up like his colleagues, like once the, once the truth comes out, his colleagues are like dying mysteriously in Russia and he has to flee Russia and he's coming and living with the documentarian because like it's crazy. Uh, and what's especially fascinating that I think is like, you know, I was reading through some reviews after I saw it and some people had a problem with this, but I actually kind of like this because the movie is like a full two hours long and for like 45 minutes of that two hours, the director, his name is Brian Fogel sticks with his original plan so you don't know like and i think that's some people found that indulgent and it's like oh it's too much about him when he's really like got this this, right. this bomb waiting but i think he wanted to recreate the experience that he had yeah. you know yeah so for 45 minutes this is a document documentary about this guy trying to beat anti-doping testing in sort of the the like semi semi-pro or you know high-ranking amateur cycling international cycling world and, and then all of a sudden it just changes and it's fascinating it's like from dusk till dawn uh, yeah yeah um i uh, yeah it's i mean it's not gonna make any of my best of lists now that i'm in that that uh year-end mindset uh but i would recommend you know it's a really fascinating uh watch and it's really interesting to learn exactly how um uh russia cheated for so long like basically i mean this is a program like this guy was has been in charge of it since like the the late 80s early 90s but basically like since the late 60s russia has been like systematically doping its international athletes <laughs> and cheating on te- like getting around tests so it's suddenly crazy. like this ivan drago thing isn't quite so far <laughs> no not quite yeah okay what's after that uh then i went um and i saw uh, angela robinson's professor marston and the wonder woman okay uh, I was very excited to see this movie when I heard about it, um, and I'm very glad that I saw it. I think it's uh, it, it's it's imp- it's imperfect. I think um, uh, unfortunately, Luke Evans is not like a particularly dynamic actor. Um, he is becoming my Will Patton. I think <laughs> my, like my new yeah, Will Patton. He's just like like I can't. It's like I can't point to any choice that he made in the movie and tell you that it's the wrong choice it's just he never surprised me he never gets any deeper than he needs to with the character yeah. i think um anyway those are all those are complaints and those are valid complaints that's what you're looking for um and, and it kept me from outright loving the movie but i did really like the movie because beyond that um the do you know the story i do yes okay. so um for those who don't know real quick the guy who professor what is it? Uh, William Moulton Marston is the guy who created uh, Wonder Woman is also when uh, he and his wife invented the lie detector test or invented the, the, um, whatever the thing that led to the polygraph as we know it. Um, and also they were part of a polyamorous relationship. They had a, there was a woman who started as, uh, one of his students at Harvard became yeah. his assistant and then became their, I don't know. They were in a three-way relationship together. He had children with both of them. They raised because he and his wife both worked. And, um, eventually this third woman became like, a 
you know, a full-time mom to everyone's kids. Um, and also in addition to that, they were very into bondage. Yeah. In S and M that was, uh, and this was like a while ago. This is in the forties. Forties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I like about the movie and what if I say it like this, it's going to sound like a complaint, but it's the opposite of that. It's an incredibly conventional biopic, mm-hmm. but I think like in a sort of self-aware way, yeah. it's saying let's take this very unconventional relationship style and this very un- un- unconventional uh, sexual kinks or whatever. And then let's tell this story as the love story that it is the way that audiences are used to seeing a love story told. And it almost feels revolutionary in a way, yeah. you know, that they're not playing up the seediness of this uh, yeah. at all. It is about three people who love each other and also go through a lot of, you know, they have, they have, they have complaints and differences and, uh, his, his wife, um, played by, um, uh, Rebecca is Bella Heathcote plays, uh, the younger woman. Um, you know, I always get Rebecca Hall and Rebecca Ferguson mixed up. I mm. can't remember which one it is. It's one of them. Rebecca Ferguson was in the snowman. Was this woman in the snowman? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see the snowman <laughs> yet. Um, it is Rebecca Hall. Okay. Uh, like she's and on one hand, she's a very, you know, um, uh, outspoken and, uh, feminist woman, but she's also the one of the three of them who's more concerned about what people think, you know? Sure. Um, and, uh, so there are differences and clashes and there's friction. Um, and I, I really, I really, overall, I really recommend the movie because, of, because of its, um, conventional unconventionally conventional take on this type of story i was making a Uh, i was talking about this film again which i haven't seen but i really want to um with a friend and we made a joke that like you know when you're writing that script like how often in the first 30 minutes in the first 30 pages do you write the phrase now hear me out (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah so i've got this student now hear me out um okay so what uh so what else you got um and also i really want i wanted to say real quick uh a couple of um um uh character actors who show up in addition to the ones mentioned you've got oliver platt always welcome always uh as the head of whatever it wasn't dc comics back then but the the right. the, the basically the guy who published yeah. wonder woman uh the guy who bought the idea from uh from marston and then uh the great connie Britton. Um, oh yeah because there's a whole there's part of the uh, i guess the sort of bookend or or framing device or whatever is that there were investigations into the you know there was there were a lot of protests about wonder woman because the content was also very bondage heavy yeah and so there was there there were some uh inquiries and she plays the the head of a sort of uh american decency whatever i could say that um but she's you know the uh, to the movies you know, the movie doesn't make there are people who disagree with the marstons um and except for except for a couple who were just jerks um the movie doesn't you know, just make them easy villains. Right. right. You know, um, like the young woman is engaged to someone, to a man who, you know, his wants a traditional relationship. Yeah. And it, you know, it would have been easy to say like, look at this fucking like square or whatever. Right. Like he can't handle this or whatever. But it's like, you see that he's like hurt 
by this that he feels for this woman and he maybe his views are a little old fashioned in the terms of what he thinks a wife should be yeah. but also like he's 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 hurting and this isn't exactly his fault and when you think about it i'd say even the most progressive person in 2017 wouldn't be into it i don't think oh, they'd sure, be yeah. you know like yeah it's still a, a tough pill to swallow i guess for yeah in a lot of ways i do like your use of the word jerks i like the idea of the marsons like heading home after a hearing and they're like you know what those guys were jerks yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then i watched another netflix documentary called strong island okay um, this, oh yeah okay i, yeah, I this, didn't see it but yes uh i mean i definitely uh, definitely watch it um to just you know uh Steal yourself. It, 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 it's um, it, it's it's very upsetting. It's um, the the man who made it. Um, his uh, when he was in college, I guess his older brother um, was shot and killed, um, and the 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 um, the murderer essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the murder. It was a murder. Um, never was punished they know who did it hmm. um but uh it's the movie i think i i i, I think you know it was eventually she eventually finds out because it was a grand jury she never she never i'm sorry i keep saying she it's he the director is he he's a trans man okay. and so all the like footage and pictures of their youth looks like a girl sure and, sure you know he narrates and has a you know a voice that you would if you had your eyes closed you'd probably associate mm-hmm. it with a woman so i keep saying uh, i keep wanting to say she but it's uh so he um uh he makes the movie you know, so he finds out um why you know and it was essentially uh, because of the the grand jury found that it was that it was in self-defense even though they also know that it that moment he wasn't doing anything threatening. Right, right. But there had been past altercations between these two and yeah. so the and anyway, what I'm saying is the movie could be didactic if it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But Yancey is his name, the director, Yancey Ford. Um I keep just saying by the last name because the his older brother who was murdered, everyone just called him Ford. Right. That was like what he was just known as Ford. So I don't want to say Ford, the director, because Ford right. is the, the, the man who was murdered. Uh, anyway, so Yancey, uh, I think makes a much more powerful statement by making it personal and by making it thorny and making it complex and, mm-hmm. and, and not sort of drawing like clear lines, like in, you know, and then leaving it at like, okay, this is a white man who murdered my black brother. Um, the jury was willing to admit to, to, to be convinced that it was self-defense, even though my brother wasn't doing anything. That's a very strict line. And I think that that's, that's something that happens a lot, but I think by making it more personal and specific, you see how difficult these issues are and how deep seated they are. Especially if you bring up like a, a history between these two, individuals and it's like oh okay that is a bit more complex uh not that not that uh, like yeah from i don't want to like from a reasonable doubt standpoint like yeah there's enough that i'm sure a few jury members like eh. but even then see I, I like this is treated as sort of a revelation in the movie so i don't want to give too oh, much okay. away um so e- even then when you find out you know what their history is it it muddies things even okay even further like I guess we, we know pretty on the guy who, 
um, who, who shot, uh, Ford was not, you know, a, a model citizen himself. Sure. Um, the, uh, uh, and so you find out more, more about that and, and more about what happened. Um, it's really, really, uh, wrenching stuff. Um, yeah. and it is very personal. There's a lot of, you know, there's narration, but a lot of, a lot of the narration is like, um, direct address, like the, you know, Yancey Ford, like, uh, looking at the camera and saying, here's what I remember of my, of this time mm. in my life. And here's how I feel about it now. And like, so it's, it's a very emotional movie and definitely worth checking out strong island it's on netflix all right all right let me do one more and then i'll toss it over to you okay um oh i mentioned it before uh, i saw darkest hour drum roll no it's my favorite joe wright movie uh, okay. um, did you see anna karenina uh i did yeah did, okay. anna karenina and pride and prejudice are the ones that i like of his yes um i don't like atonement and I guess that's it. Cause I never saw pan or the soloist, which everyone forgets you made. The and there's soloist. Hannah. Um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I never saw Hannah. It's pretty good. I always forget about that. Cause it doesn't feel like a him. Like it doesn't feel like his track record. It doesn't. But like when you see like, Oh yeah, okay, <laughs> I got it. Um, but darkest hour, even though it still has a lot of the sort of theatricality that is both good and bad in his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think this is the first one that emotionally really, cut through and hit me directly. Like there are, there are scenes in the movie. There's one in particular that you would not think of as a tearjerker type scene, but that was so very emotional for Mm me, um, near the end. There was, there were even more for, um, my wife, Natalie, uh, uh, also, um, got to come see with me and and loved the movie and also teared up. Um, but it's, uh, uh, I feel like I'm still in the middle of like putting together my review. So I'm like, if I commit to like, if I commit to my thoughts now, am I like limiting myself? But also maybe I'm, it'll help me like get my thoughts in order while I'm writing the review. This is the inside of my mind. It's a little, as a, right, a little as a Barton Fink-esque uh, like yeah. when uh, Lipnick tells him to summarize. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think it's a movie that is, it takes the fact that we, we know that, you know, it, it, I don't know if you know what period it just takes place over the first few weeks of his prime ministership, yeah. which is because the Dunkirk thing happened like two weeks in. Yeah. So it, it takes place over less than a month from like May 9th to like June 4th. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, uh, and so, um, we know that Dunkirk worked out well for, for him. And eventually mm-hmm. that he was seen as a good war, a great wartime leader. Yeah. Um, but they didn't know that at the time. And a lot of people doubted him. Yeah. And I think the movie does a good job of seeing, of letting us see, like not constantly at every turn, like reminding us that, Hey, this is Winston fucking Churchill here. You know, yeah. like we're able to see why people doubt him. Um, uh, you know, it, this is also, you know, we've talked about pet themes, uh, before this is a movie about a high functioning, high functioning alcoholic, sure. which is, um, uh, something that tends to, that tends to interest me, uh, for whatever reason. Um, that reminds me pin, put a pin in the, uh, in the thing. Did you ever watch the Ken Burns Rose, the Roosevelt's documentary? No, I didn't. There's a great story about why Eleanor Roosevelt didn't like Winston Churchill because he was like a bad influence. <laughs> 
because he was. I think the story is like Eleanor Roosevelt like realized that FDR wasn't in bed with her one night when Winston was when Winston Churchill was in Washington during the war and like walked through the White House and found them at like three o'clock in the morning in a room just like drunk with maps of Europe all over the floor just like strategizing. Um, I don't want you hanging out with that Churchill boy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's essentially how Eleanor Roosevelt felt about Winston Churchill, which is very funny to me um, and kind of fits. Um, who plays FDR in this or do you get I, to see him? You only hear him. Okay. And as far as I can tell, uncredited, I'm sure it'll come out eventually. I was literally Googling this today because mm-hmm. I was like, I need to figure out cause it's very, it's very good. It's a very good. There's a, there's a weird lot of, there's a weirdly large amount of laughs in the movie. That's, um, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, so there's one scene where he talks to you. You hear FDR over the phone, because mm-hmm. um, uh, he's just trying to get the uh, B four bombers that he's already paid for. You know, yeah. but like uh, the U S has signed laws that they can't ship military mm-hmm. things over the. So uh, Winston Churchill, there's more last than this. In uh, Winston Churchill is like, but we paid for them. We paid for them with the money that we borrowed from you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, there's, but there's more, it's a funny scene. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, ultimately kind of a sad scene as well. Mm. Uh, like a lot of these are anyway. Um, so there's that, it, it, it lets you see why people doubt doubted him. Um, also, but I think on a larger level, and this is what I've been getting at in the review that I've been putting together, um, is that it's a movie that sort of advocates for the necessity of, a leader to at times view the people he's leading as a mass as opposed to individuals. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's just something that he has to do. Um, but on the other hand, it's also about, there are times when you, it's better to see them as individuals, yeah. you know, and that's something he has to learn, uh, as well. It's, yeah, I, I found it really, really touching. Um, and maybe it's because, uh, you know, I'm, I've been saying this since, you know, November, I guess. Uh, but you know, the idea of a leader, you know, uh, stewing over moral decisions, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is like, uh, weirdly touching to me because we have a president who doesn't do that at all <laughs> now. Uh, so yeah, that's maybe why I found it part of why I found it so effective, but it's a very well shot. Bruno Delbanel shot it. Nice. Um, and I like, um, him from, well, he did Amelie and he did the cat's meow and he did Harry Potter and the half blood prince. He did inside Lewin Davis, uh, inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Um, he did something else recently. I liked, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's one of my favorite DPs. So yeah, it looks great. The music's great. I forget who it's by, but, um, I really went in, you know, with my, like, not guard up because I, I want to like every movie, but I went in with an idea of how I tend generally feel about Joe Wright movies. And this one really, really surprised me. Well, I think a lot of us look at that film and think of it as like, okay, uh, probably a really good lead performance and then a completely mediocre film around it. Um, but that, and I'll say this, even when I don't appreciate what, sorry, even when I don't like what Joe Wright is doing, I do appreciate that he doesn't make movies that just sit there. You know, he's very active, uh, and very involved in what's going on emotionally. And even if he actually makes it a little bit cold at times. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, as far as like, so 
friend of the show, Jason Eakin and I were talking about it. They're like this film from an Oscar perspective, uh-huh. it could have been the iron lady or it could be the King's speech. Like the iron okay. lady, like actress and makeup. That's all it really is. Oh, okay. And this, it sounds like I never is much more than that. King's um, speech is, is quite good. It's speaking not perfect. Of the King's but, speech. Okay. Ben Mendelsohn plays King George the sixth. Yes. Uh, he's great. Um, uh, one person I'd say that I was kind of surprised, um, isn't being talked about more because it's a meaty role with a lot of screen time is Stephen Delane as uh, Viscount Halifax. Who's one of the leaders mm. of like, uh, apparently according to the movie, I'm not well versed in this period of uh, the, spe- the specifics of the parliamentary history, but uh, Churchill's biggest critics were his own party. Yes. Cause he came from the party that wanted to negotiate for peace. Um, and so uh, once Chamberlain steps down, um, Halifax, I guess, is sort of the de facto like leader of the party. Well, Churchill is leader of the party, right. but in terms of the people who, uh, you know, hate him, which is most yeah. of them. Uh, so he ends up, so Stephen Delane actually is, I guess if the movie has an antagonist, it's, it's him. Interesting. Um, it's a pretty big part, but I wonder how often, okay, then I'll, t- this is, we're done with Arcus Hour and then I'll throw it to you. But here's the, here's a question for you as someone who has more of an idea of awards history. Sure. How often is the term when you're talking about category supporting actor actor taken literally to where it's someone who is a character who is in support of the lead? Often. I guess what I'm yeah what I'm saying is how often does the bad guy get nominated for supporting? It seems like almost never, right? Some somewhat frequently. I mean, in 2007, eight, and nine, the the, the bad guy won supporting actor. Um, okay, give me the. You got your Anton Chigurh. He won. You got your Joker. Oh, right. You got your Hans Landa. Um, okay. So, yeah. and then like John Malkovich and, uh, uh, in the line of fire, like it does happen. It doesn't happen that often. Okay. But what I will say is that for supporting actress, mm-hmm. supporting is a big part of it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. The, su- the supportive, but conflicted wife wins a lot. You know, if, mm-hmm. and it definitely gets a lot of nominations, you know, like Jennifer Connelly for a beautiful mind, Alicia Vikander for the, the Danish girl. Yeah. Um, like it's, you find it a, a fair amount, but, and that's the thing is like, but when you are, cause that's the thing. I don't think you can be a full on antagonist. You have to be a villain. Mm, okay. And it sounds like Stephen Delane is an antagonist, not necessarily a villain. Let me ask you this out of the outside of the awards thing. Why isn't Stephen Delane more famous? <laughs> like why? Like I understand. I, I think part of the reason that Ben Mendelsohn is getting more buzz is I mean, he's great in the movie, but also Ben Mendelsohn is having a moment for the past few years. Right. Why did Stephen Delane never get there? He's been great. Like, since Tony Scott's spy game is when I first, and that was like yeah. 15 years ago now. He, Cause he's understated. Yeah. He's Ben Mendelsohn. Good. As much as I love him, like he can be big and has mm-hmm. been big. Um, Stephen Delane and you know, the, like he got a, he played Merlin and underplayed it, uh-huh. you know, like I think that's, he played Thomas Jefferson and I think it's a wonderful performance, it's but it's very, it's very small. And so I think that's, that keeps, especially from a supporting acting standpoint, I think that keeps people from remembering him. That's too bad. Yeah. Um, well he gets to yell a lot in this movie, but it gets drowned out by everyone else yelling all the time too. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> this is a movie that starts with people screaming at each other. So is he kind yeah. of the, uh, the, the Jelko Ivanek of, uh, John Adams. You remember him? Uh, I remember that actor. I mean, of course I know that actor, but yeah, but, he was uh, the one who like, I haven't seen John Adams since it aired. So that Man, was... it's good. Yeah. That's what I remember. Um, all right. Okay. Uh, what did you watch? I watched 
Martin Campbell's The Foreigner. Oh, I'm very excited for this movie. Um, it's getting okay reviews. I liked it quite a bit. Here's what I'll say. It is being marketed a very specific way, which is which makes sense. It's like it's being marketed as like the return of Jackie Chan. We haven't seen him in a while, and now he's going to bust some heads. Uh-huh. Okay, I guess it is that. You don't see a lot of stunt work. You see him, you know, making a lot of, you know, uh, bombs and uh-huh. that sort of thing. Um, well, he's what? He's like 60. Yeah. Something now. He and won I, the Lifetime Achievement Award last year, didn't he? He did, yes. Yeah. Good um, for him. That's yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him. I like that he's somebody that, uh, that has become more respectable and respected uh, over the years. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, this film is not, I mean, it's officially about him, but Pierce Brosnan is absolutely a co-lead. And speaking of villain versus antagonist, Pierce Brosnan is not really a villain. Hmm. He's definitely play, played up in the marketing as one. He's an antagonist, and even then, not much of one. Like, there's a good portion of time when I'm way more on his side than I am Jackie Chan's. Hmm. Like, Jackie, uh, Jackie Chan's character... Uh, is a mourning father mm-hmm. who has gotten it into his head that that Pierce Brosnan's character, who is like this politician who used to like 20, 30 years before was like in the IRA. And he's very, he's certain that this guy probably knows something. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going on. And he's like, unless you give me these names, I'm going to start, you know, threatening you and that kind of thing. And he's just like, Oh, Hmm. Like the grief of Jackie Chan's character seems to be make, make he, he's making illogical leaps, uh, and sometimes literal leaps. Um, well, sure, but uh, well, I would hope so. I feel like I didn't get my money worth. Money's worth. <laughs> but uh, I didn't jump around a little. At the same time, like, but then there's also like a certain sleaziness. It is way more about Irish politics than one would assume. Um, <laughs> But it is, I, but to me, I like that. I like that a lot. And I like the idea that there's this fairly straightforward backroom political thriller. But in the midst of it, there's also this, this other guy who just needs to be dealt with while we're trying to do this other thing. And it's really fascinating. And I'll say this, like Pierce Brosnan is great. I forgot how good he can be. And he is great. Like he's playing like this, you know, he's, he's older now and he's playing just this very, a guy who is firm and he's very successful and he's respected, but he also is seen by some as weak because he, he wants peace. He does not want mm. violence. And, uh, it's, it's not a perfect film. I think it's probably a little bit too long. Um, but it is, I think very effective in a lot of ways and I would, I would recommend it. And I, frankly, I'm happy that it's not what it's being marketed as. I think it would be enjoyable if it were that, but it's so much more. I wouldn't be surprised if people that are like big fans of like rush hour and stuff, if they went to see it, I wouldn't be surprised if they were disappointed. Oh, okay. But for me, I, I like this much more. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the the movie's called The Foreigner. It's based on a novel called yes, The, the Chinaman. Chinaman. Yeah. I think it was a good good call yeah. changing that. I don't even like this title though, but I guess yeah. Uh yeah, I'm glad you like that. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Okay. Um I, I like I think I like that Martin Campbell. I think I, I'm a fan of his. Yeah, he did um Goldeneye. And Casino Royale, which is marvelous. Um okay. Uh I count I did four last time, so I'm gonna do three, then we'll do one more with you, yeah. then I'll close out with two. Okay. I should have done three, three, and three. That would have made more sense. Oh, yeah. Um, 
All right. I saw a movie I was very much looking forward to, um, and it mostly didn't disappoint. I saw Mike White's new movie, Brad's Status. Okay, yeah. Um, Where did you see it? Uh, I saw it at the Arclight Sherman Oaks. Oh, all right. What do you ask? Because it's playing at that. I've only... Okay, so there's that movie theater by Best Buy on Van Nuys that's like uh-huh. a secret. Yeah. I've been there once <laughs> to too. see to see Pan, oddly enough. Observer and Report. That's the one thing I ever saw yeah. there. Um, it's like the one movie still the one theater still playing Dunkirk, which I wasn't able to see unfortunately. Uh. Um but I, but yeah, I saw a pan there. Oddly enough, Joe Wright, um, and it is currently playing Brad Status, and I, and uh, so you should go. You know what that theater has? What's that? Or at least uh, I don't know if every I don't know how many screens is, are there. There's like eight, like, five. Oh, five. Okay, at least one or two of them have balconies. Oh, which is like kind of an old fashioned thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Natalie and I, when we were like, it was pretty early in our relationship. We went and saw Observer and Report in the balcony. It was like. It was like a 10 p.m. on a weeknight screening. Yeah. We, we were like the only people in the theater and we sat up in the balcony. I was the only person that it was a, like a 2 p.m. Yeah, show I and I saw I, Pan. I don't know I how the that the theater one. stays in business because it, it has to it be looks, front, right? It, has it looks to, closed. Yeah. 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 Um, you got an in and out right there. You also got uh, Pineapple Hill. Great bar. Oh, OK. They got a uh, trivia on Tuesdays, I think. I'll keep that in mind. I think Tuesdays. Um, free popcorn at that bar. Uh, I like the bars with free popcorn. I didn't even know, but I know nothing about bar culture. I didn't know that free popcorn was a thing that even oh, one yeah. bar did much oh, less. Yeah. There are several apparently. You got, uh, um, uh, sticking to the Valley. You got, uh, the Oaks bar in, mm. on, in, in Sherman Oaks. And then of course you have the roost in Atwater village. Sure. It's free popcorn. At least it did. I haven't been there in a million years, but, uh, anyway, I like bars with free popcorn. Okay. Anyway, uh, although last time, and then we'll move on. Last time I was at the Oaks. So the, the thing is they have a popcorn maker and then there's like a scooper and bowls and you're supposed to go, you know, you scoop it yourself and bring it to your right. table. It was kettle corn, but mm. there was no sign that it was kettle corn. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's jarring. Like there's something very wrong with, Oh, hang yeah. On. That's cruel to yeah. do. Right. Anyway. Uh, all right. What's next for me? Oh yeah. Brad said, I didn't even actually talk about it. Um, I think we got it. I'd say this is, um, it's the first of two Ben Stiller movies I'm going to talk about today. Um, and this is a, maybe the best performance I've ever seen Ben Stiller give. Hmm. It's uh, because he's walking such a thin line of like, it's basically a movie about a guy who's doing perfectly well for himself. He's a, you know, uh, owns a nonprofit. Um, he's the, uh, you know, he's flying his son to Boston to look at colleges cause his son is going to mm-hmm. go to, to, to Harvard. Like he's doing perfectly well, but his group of college friends are all doing much better than he is. Yeah. Like his, uh, Michael Sheen was, uh, you know, his stories that he was at one point, the, uh, um, white house press secretary and is now an author and lecturer. Wow. Um, and then Mike white plays one of his friends who's gone on to be a, um, uh, uh, a film director in Los Angeles and Luke Wilson is a hedge fund manager in New York and uh, Jermaine Clement plays a guy who's sort of like his investments paid off and he retired a like multimillionaire at 40 and lives in Maui um, and so he's like looking at his life on this cusp of his son going away and like feeling sorry for himself yeah and I think Mike White and Ben Stiller together do such a good job of walking the line of like understanding his frustrations and his, uh, insecurities and also, you know, acknowledging that he has very little reason to complain in the scheme of things. And there's, you know, at least one major character who, uh, it's very satisfying at about the halfway point when she like tells him as much. Um, and it sort of does and doesn't sink in. Uh, but this is basically 
this idea of, I, I said this on Twitter. I, I was in therapy for three years mm-hmm. to get to what this movie gets to in two hours, yeah. which is this, this idea that like you cannot, you know, base your self worth self worth on comparing yourself to those around you. It has to be internal, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, or it has to be about the, the, the people that, that you love and who love you, like yeah. your immediate, uh, family and, and your wife and those sort of things that that's, and, and your personal view of yourself are what's yeah. important. And you're going down and, uh, into an unwinnable situation. If you're just going to compare yourself to other people, uh, and, and I, and I, I really related to the movie in that way. It's a terrific, uh, terrific lead performance. And also his son, who's pretty much the second lead in the movie, uh, is a young actor named Austin Abrams. I didn't know him from anything, but he's also really good. Uh, yeah. So I would definitely recommend, uh, Brad's status. Sounds great. I didn't, I, I don't think I actually knew it was a Mike White film. That yeah. makes me much it's more. It's only the second film he's directed after year of the dog. Oh, okay. And then he also did a bunch of episodes of enlightened, which was the HBO show that he created. Right. Right. Um, he's obviously, he's mostly known as a writer. Yeah. Um, and, um, he's of the friends uh, of Ben Stiller's like friends. He's in the movie, the least, hmm. um, Michael Sheen's in it the, the most, uh, probably a good call. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, with a good American accent. I know he's done American accents before, but it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Um, all right. Uh, I said I was going to talk about three movies. Okay. So I have two more. Oh man. I watched the movie. <laughs> I watched the movie on Amazon late night. And this is a, I didn't know what the movie was about really. And it's a perfect late night movie. Uh, a 1971 film called pretty maids all in a row. Okay. Um, this, uh, back when, uh, I, I guess the last sight and sound thing when they, you know, they, uh, every 10 years they pull, there's the important one where they pull critics, but you know, they also pull, pull directors. Yeah. It's like a, silly little like human interesting they do where they ask directors what they think of movies, yeah. which isn't important. Um, <laughs> I don't care what movies directors like, but it was of interest that Quentin Tarantino put pretty maids all in a row as one of his fit. Like I feel top, like that should set up top 10 bells. films of all time. Uh, and it is a really strange movie. Um, it's about a series, uh, a high school, um, where there's a series of, you know, the, teenage girls getting murdered. Um, and the protagonist is a frustrated virgin kid who wants to sleep with all these girls Mm -hmm. and then they keep getting murdered. And he's sort of taken, uh, under the wing of the sort of very progressive, um, guidance counselor played, um, by, um, what's his name? Um, Rock Hudson. Oh, okay. I was um, expecting that. Yeah. The principal of the school is Roddy McDowell. Always a sure. welcome. Uh, one of the, he has one of the funniest parts where when the first girl's murdered, he keeps like saying like, Oh, she was a terrific little cheerleader. And like the lead character is like, you know, she probably want to be remembered as something more than that. But then like <laughs> at the halfway point of the movie, when they have like a memorial for all the girls who have been killed so far at the high school football game, mm-hmm. he's like, as we pay respects to three of our own, including one who was a terrific little cheerleader. <laughs> 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 um, and then Angie Dickinson plays the, the hot teacher. Um, it's not a, uh, I think the, it, the movie is hard to pin down because I think it's, I think it's kind of 
cynical about um, the sort of late 60s, early 70s, like free love generation mm-hmm. thing. Um, and in a negative way, that plays out as not being particularly kind to any of its female characters. Right. Like Angie Dickinson, you know, I love Angie Dickinson, but this is, you know, and, and she's good in the movie, but like her character does not, it's just an idiot. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I think it's, um, I'm going to spoil who the killer is cause it's immediately obvious, but it is rock Hudson. Okay. He's the killer. Um, he's also having affairs with all of these teenage girls, sure. uh, when they're coming in for guidance counseling. Um, and I think what, where the cynicism pays off is that it's a movie that's about how easy it is for someone to manipulate or get what they want by pretending to buy into this sort of new way of thinking. Yeah. Like, uh, the way, the way, you know, basically it's the, it's a sinister manipulative adult co-opting, um, their things at first to get laid and then to cover up his murders, which Uh, is oddly relevant, uh, uh, to the last year or so, uh, and the discussion we're having. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's not, I mean, it's so, it's such an exploitation movie, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't. Uh, fully r- recommend it without like warning you. Like it is not a movie that is, uh, it is, it is not kind to its female characters. Most of them are dumb and, and or naked and usually both at the same time. Okay. Um, but it is a really interesting movie and it has some good laughs in it. Um, and it, despite, I think, its reputation uh, based on what I found on the internet. I think it does have something interesting to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I have one more and then I throw it back to you. Okay. This is a movie um, is a Brazilian movie that's coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when in the next couple weeks, only in LA and New York. So I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I just realized I tweeted something that was incorrect. Uh, fuck. Okay. Um, what did you tweet? Uh, something about n- never here. I forgot how many cities it's opening in. Cause I was uh, like pushing my review today. Uh, um, anyway. Okay. So, uh, but this movie is opening just in, in LA and New York. It's a Brazilian movie called the movie of my life. Um, it is wonderful. Uh, it, it takes place, I think in the early 1960s. I don't think it's exactly clear about, uh, when it is, but it basically, it's this, uh, young man grew up in a small town with, uh, in, in Brazil with a Brazilian mother. His father was from France. His father raised him and everything. And then he went off to college mm-hmm. and, uh, the day he comes back to town, he's got his degree. Now he's going to be a school teacher in the, in the town. The, literally the day he comes back, his father says, his father gets on the same train that he just got on and says, I have to go back to France. And then, so the movie jumps ahead to like, two years and that's where it really starts is that yeah. this guy's been back for two years um and hasn't heard a single word from his father no letters or anything um but he's also uh you know making his way in the town he's still living with his with his mother teaching but he's you know talking to talking to women he's sort of adopted this not adopted but um taken as a father figure one of his dad's best friends who's played by the director actually whose name is Selton mellow. Um, I can't remember. Um, but, uh, he's terrific. Um, uh, and it's really, I guess it's a coming of age movie, even though the character is in his early twenties, you think of coming of age as being teenage, but this yeah. is, um, uh, that's essentially what, what this is. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's full of like flights of, 
of, of fancy and um, beautiful cinematography by um, Walter Carvalho, who is one of the leading Brazilian cinematographers. He shot um, Central Station, if you saw that oh, yeah, yeah. in the 90s, and then also Karen Diru was one he did uh, in the early 2000s. Um, uh, it's beautiful and lush and warm, uh, and it makes me want to visit small town Brazil. Mm. Um, uh, and it's also about a guy who loves movies or specifically loves one movie. Um, he, that's it's sort of a, sort of the joke. The revelation of the title is you realize you think like, Oh, the movie of my life refers to, this is the movie that I'm watching, yeah. but it's like, Oh no, this movie is the story is about how this guy finds one movie that really speaks to him and his relationship to his father. Yeah. Um, and I almost don't want to tell you what the movie is. Um, let's see if I can guess, <laughs> uh, Let's see. Is it Jaws? <laughs> no, that would, okay. would, would not have come out yet. Oh, okay, okay. This is a movie that, uh, if this movie makes you think of your relationship with your father, it's probably not a great relationship. Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, no, no, you're a little closer. Uh, you do have this Blu-ray. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, man. Oh, you want to guess? Red River? Red River is All the movie, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, if you see yourself as Montgomery, Cliff, Montgomery Clifton, your dad is John Wayne, that doesn't say great things about your relationship with your father. Uh, but but you know what? There are seeds in there. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's yeah. part of why it's so, um, so special uh, uh, that Red River ends up becoming such a big part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really a, a lovely movie that, um, you know, I... It ha- you know I talked about it in terms of story it has a story obviously but so much of it is just about these great moments and vignettes and and let's say like I said flights of fancy and mm. I wouldn't go quite so far as to say magical realism but uh, it has you know some inspired stuff like that <laughs> the movie of my life if you get a chance to see it definitely see it it's really great it sounds great especially for movie lovers yeah um, I feel like people could probably relate to that all right here we go. So, <laughs> I saw Thomas Alfredson's The Snowman. It's probably Tomas, right? I don't, I don't know, because when I think of the word Tomas, I think of like, I think of like, um, Spanish. Right, because, um, um, the orphanage, not. right? Wasn't that the kid in the orphanage? I don't know, I just think of the Spanish classes I took. Okay, um, did, you, did you see the orphanage? I did not. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh. So, okay. Good Lord. It's not my least favorite movie of the year. It's in the running. Uh, Alyssa Wilkinson said that it may be the worst movie of the year. And she said, and she said, and this is the year I saw the emoji movie. (laughs) Um, Here's what I'll say. You mentioned free popcorn. Now, when you do this for a long period of time, Uh you start to notice certain trends Uh when a studio has no faith in their film. So, okay. So when I arrived, free popcorn and soda. And I was like, hey, yeah. neat. But I also thought like, huh, that doesn't usually happen here at the Arclight. That's odd. Noted. And then, uh, and I had, for, but then I had also forgotten when the embargo was. Uh-huh. The embargo lifted at 9 a.m. Thursday. Yeah. Like today. <laughs> This is about as close as you can get to not screening it for critics 
and still screen it for critics. Yeah. Like all of this, all it's not this as bad as Geostorm. I don't know if you've heard of it. Geostorm is not, not screening for critics at all. And okay. also in most cities, they aren't, they specifically aren't like allowing theaters to do Thursday night screenings Ooh, for, pub- for the public. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's worse. Yes. But yeah, it just, it, it really, makes you want to see Geostorm more. Oh, and no this question. makes you want to see the snowman more. It really is not worth it. It's not that kind of, bad good or good bad whatever you want to say um it is it just is such a misfire there's good stuff in it it's beautiful first off i'm a big fan of like the frozen tundra as like a a thing of beauty and the the cinematographer dion bb i know oh sure um Academy Award winner for Chicago, I think. Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh. Nominee for Chicago, I believe. Um, Because I looked it up last night as I was writing my review, because I wanted to single him out specifically, because it really is gorgeous and a little bit surreal at times. Uh, I think the performances are all very good. I think, uh, you know, Michael Fassbender does a a really good job. He's very committed, as everybody is in the film. Um, I will say there is something baffling and yet invigoratingly so Val Kilmer. Oh, wow. Plays essentially. He's a character a lot like Michael Fassbender, but he's a few years down the line. So like Michael Fassbender's character is like an alcoholic and he's a detective. Val Kilmer is the same thing, but he's older and you can see like, Oh, he's in bad shape. And the way they like, the costume they give him, the way they style his hair, and the way, and his performance, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure is heavily ADR'd, um, mm. is so weird. And I would say distracting, but then after a while, I was like, I'll, I'll, I welcome this distraction. Um, and at, at any point, I was like, I want this movie to be about this man. <laughs> That's what I want. Uh, and then he dies. Okay. So, sorry. <laughs> it's not about him. Um, and so, it's just like, and it just feels so tinkered with. It feels like, I don't think I blame Thomas Alfredson based on comments he said. Um, he said like, yeah, we didn't get to shoot like 15% of the script. And I was like, why, why is that? <laughs> feels to me like 15% is pretty important, especially yeah. with a mystery. Um, you know, I was vaguely invested in, in who committed these crimes mostly because like, you know, I want this person to get caught. These are pretty grisly crimes and pretty sure these victims don't deserve it. Um, but that was just kind of a general curiosity. I didn't care about anything that was happening and it just feels so slapped together. And that climax is just a mess, just a clumsy clunky mess when it finally, like the film kind of goes at a glacial pace and then sometimes it hurries up in a way that's like, doesn't feel right at all. And then, and then like the climax, like they're drawing it out, drawing it out. And then like there's a quote unquote action scene that is about six seconds long. Uh huh cut really fast and there's like ah like there the people laughed in the theater because we're like well nobody ever nobody specifically said what the fuck just happened <laughs> but everyone was thinking it it is i was actually excited for this film because the, yeah. the trailers looked pretty good and thomas alfredson yeah man this thing is a i'll quote our friend mike schmidt this thing is a swing and a miss but well, made all the more frustrating because it had so many good elements to it. See, and that every makes me, single contributor is great, and yet somehow that makes me think at least it would be a more interesting movie to watch than say something like last year's The Girl on the Train, which is just sure. Like, did you see that? It was just like I didn't soggy and dull. Like at least this sounds 
Like it's not going to lose my attention. Well, and I, I definitely know like having not seen girl on the train, like I do know that that was trying to kind of capture a gone girl. Yeah. And this was definitely trying to capture girl with dragon tattoo. Like no question about it. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, thank you. Okay. Um, I saw a movie I was very excited to see. Um, it's coming out uh, in a week or two. Um, the new film by Ruben Ostland, who made Force hmm. Majeure a yeah. couple years ago. This one's called The Square. Um, and, you know, I found myself thinking, like, because I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I found myself wondering, like, did I not like it as much as Force Majeure simply because I saw that one first? Like, and mm. I already sort of got a handle on his thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that is part of it, that Force Majeure just felt more... Um, fresh because it was the first of his films that I'd seen. But um, there are some other things too, where I think force majeure is it's sort of um, satire and its critiques can get like down to like the point of a needle can really get into the, to this character and the square is a much more blunt object of, of a movie, which is not necessarily a, uh, a complaint, but I, I, it didn't leave me quite as shaken with the, with the exception of a couple, um, standout scenes as force majeure, but on its own, it's a fantastic movie. The, uh, takes place in a museum, um, or in around the, a museum in Stockholm. The main character is a, uh, is the curator of a museum and, um, uh, in an early scene, he's mugged, um, and he, uh, takes, um, just, uh, on the suggestion of an employee, he takes uh, certain measures to try and get his, uh, stuff back that, um, end up having a whole series of, uh, <laughs> negative effects on his life and his museum and the, and uh, in, in his job and his, his world and his family. <laughs> like, uh, somehow I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah. Um, but then, so then there are long scenes in the movie that have nothing to do with anything that I just said. It is, uh, in some ways it is a, 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 a movie that sort of follows its own inner muse and, um, uh, but it has a lot to say and I think it, you know, it's not, in the least bit subtle about what it has to say. It's very clearly about, um, the idea of, um, what it takes to help people and why we sometimes put more effort into the grand gestures or the conversation about helping people than we do actually just like, you know, lending a hand to someone who needs it. Um, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. There's also an ongoing conversation in the movie, uh, I'm not sure how the two things tie together, but um, how um, uh, how we decide what is important art in the sense that like there's a handful of gatekeepers who say like yes I'm going to put this here in this museum and because right. of and because it's there in the museum suddenly it's it's art yeah. like um, uh, so yeah there's um, uh, there's, there's a, there's a bunch going on. Um, and, uh, it also continuing the tradition of force majeure had a couple of, um, uh, American actors show up in small roles. There's like Brady, Brady Corbett said his name. Yeah. Uh, I think there was one other, um, you've got in slightly larger roles. Um, Elizabeth Moss, uh, is mm-hmm. there as a, uh, I guess she's a, a journalist who is writing about the museum, I think is, um, uh, what her role is. And then Dominic West, um, Mm. plays, uh, an artist who's, um, being showcased 
at the museum. Um, and he's a total pretentious piece of shit. I could say it. But like, yeah. in that, like not, I think Ruben Austin is good at like, not like in some ways there's his character, his, his comedy is very broad, but his characters are all specific characters. Yes. You know what I mean? And so it'd be, you know, Dominic West isn't like this sort of stereotypical, like egotistical, yeah. um, artist. He's like trying to be nice, but also he does, he has very thin skin at the same time. Mm. He also wears, um, full pajamas every day everywhere with a sport coat over them that's like his little eccentricity <laughs> um, uh, but um dominic west is a, a fairly small role elizabeth moss has, moss has a much uh larger role and it's a terrific uh performance um but yeah uh i, I liked it not as much as force majeure but i laughed a ton there are some huge laughs and there are also some very very uncomfortable uh moments you know, yeah, now that you mention it, it's just like, ah, oh, I loved Force Majeure. I don't remember if that was in my top 10, but you know what, that year, but in retrospect, I think it should have been. It's pretty um, great. Yeah, um, I feel like I should look at my list because I might have had it at number one, maybe? I, I don't remember. think so. Uh, I, I, usually, I usually have a pretty good memory for your numbers one. Yeah, I don't know why um, that is, because <laughs> um, I don't remember. Uh, all right, and then finally, I uh, last night I watched... Uh, it was after I got home from watching the square, I was like, well, let me start the Meyerowitz stories on mm-hmm. Netflix. I know it's a full two hours. It's late. I got to get up for work in the morning. Yeah. I ended up watching the whole thing through cause it's yeah. great. It's fantastic. Um, you haven't watched it yet. Obviously you have mentioned it. Um, well, I highly recommend that you watch it. You will very much enjoy it. Yeah, no, I have no doubt. And it definitely feels in many ways like a spiritual sequel to squid and the whale, like right down to like the, the patriarch of the family being like this, moody bearded uh, uh I famous guy squid in the whale oh my gosh so, you'd um, love it yeah but um uh yeah this is um it's i think i had well i the noah bombach Greta gerwig stuff is so great that i had kind of forgotten what he's like otherwise mm-hmm. you know um and this feels um like it still has some of that in it's uh, unlike something like Greenberg, which has a lot of discomfort comedy in it, yeah. this has that too. But it also has some just, uh, uh, I think, a few more like go for broke, like this is a big joke moment. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and I really enjoyed that. It's, it's a consistently very funny movie. Um, uh, and it uses, you know, like so many of the best, like non Happy Madison. Uh, right. Adam Sandler movies. It uses the the Adam Sandler persona to good uh, to good effect. That's nice. sort of like um, you know the the sort of there's a meekness paired with an explosive anger that yeah. like that's like lurking behind the service. Yeah. And like Punch Drunk Love obviously was huge in that. Yeah. This one's a little more nuanced and character based, I think. Um, uh, but it does it well. Whereas something like uh, I forget the director who made Rain Over Me. Like that was just is that Mike Binder. That's his name. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's, I don't like just plain old sad sack. Adam Sandler is yeah. not like tap into something here. Yeah. Um, right over me, Mike Binder in general, it's just not my kind of director. His movies are all overstuffed. Um, yeah. And also I think they're all misogynistic. Um, I remember there are things I liked about the upside of anger, but I guess the performances primarily like Kevin Costner, I thought Joan Allen was pretty good, but I remember the the script feeling overstuffed is a good word for him. 
Yeah, he's like, it's like, it's like do you think you're never going to make another movie and you just got to <laughs> shove it all into this one? Right. He's like the unfunny Judd Apatow. <laughs> like someone needs to tell him his movies don't need to be yeah. two hours and 15 minutes. So I didn't even see his last one, which was called, was it called Black and White? The other, it was also Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer. Was in oh, it. yeah. A little boy. Um, Black and, and White sounds right to me. I think that's what but it But then was. that's also not a James the one with Mike, movie. Yeah, not the one with Mike Tyson, though. Yeah. Uh, at least not I like, that, I'm, not I like that I'm that. aware of. Yeah. Oh, that's a good Robert Downey Jr. Brooke Shields, Ron yeah. Rifkin, I think, is in that movie. I think uh, so. Is Elijah Wood Bij- in that? Bijou Phillips. Is Elijah Wood? I can't remember. Method Man's in it. Okay. Um, I saw that one in the theater. I like that movie. James Toback is kind of fascinating. Have you ever like yeah. watched interviews with him or anything? Uh, yeah. Well, have you ever seen Seduced and, and Abandoned? The documentary no, that he made? No. Oh, I, yeah. I so remember. for those who don't know, yeah. and then we'll get back to Meyer Woods real quick, but James Toback and Alec Baldwin made a documentary together where they went to Cannes to the, cause in addition to being a film festival, the Cannes is a marketplace. Mm-hmm. They went to Cannes to try and find backers for a movie they wanted to make, which was a remake of last Tango in Paris right. set in Baghdad in 2003 with Alec Baldwin and Nev Campbell. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and I don't think they ever intended on making the movie. It was right. a, it's a documentary about the process of asking for money yeah. to get a movie made, uh, when you're a sort of semi-established person like James Toback. Yeah. It's a fascinating movie. Uh, yeah. James Toback is an odd, uh, odd person. Yeah. Well, well, the one he made with Nev Campbell, when will I be loved? I think I really liked that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see, did he also do one? Like, was it Harvard man? Was that him? Uh, uh that I don't recall. Yeah, I, I remember I one. liked his Tyson. I, I've, I've seen very little, but I've seen interviews with him and that I love. Um, but I believe he wrote Bugsy. He made Tyson mm-hmm. and then who made, he didn't make the rapture. Did he? Uh, no, um, that's a different, I'm getting the, Michael Tolkien. Okay. That's him. Not Toback Tolkien. Okay. Uh, anyway, yeah, definitely check out Seduced and Abandoned. You, Tyler, and the listener. It's, yeah, it's, it's a sounds... fascinating documentary. Uh, all right, back to Meyerowitz. Okay, what else do I need to say? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very funny. It's uh, sort of like Brad's status. There's a bit of like, how do I find a way into this? these people? Like, yeah. you know, this is, you know, this guy, is, uh, Dustin Hoffman plays a patriarch who's a... Uh, uh, sculptor who was successful enough to make a living being a sculptor, mm-hmm. but not famous. And that very much, uh, irks, irks him, yeah. uh, and eats at him all the time. And then he had four marriages, um, uh, or he'll tell you three because his first was an old, um, uh, and, uh, there's three of the kids. Um, the older kids are Adam Sandler and Elizabeth Martin. Elizabeth Marvel, okay. um, uh, who was in, um, uh, burn after reading. Okay. Um, she's, I think I want to say she's George Clooney's wife. Oh, all right. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and then, um, from, well, a later marriage is Ben Stiller. Um, and they were sort of raised in very different ways. The idea is that Dustin Hoffman's character, uh, Harold Meyerowitz wasn't really around for Adam Sandler and Elizabeth Marv- Marvel and made up for it by being almost a smothering parent with Ben Stiller. Um, and so Ben Stiller has on the one hand become much more successful in life. Um, but has a whole other host of resentment. They all, yeah. all his kids resent him for different way in different ways. And then he's on his current marriage, which is to a, um, drunken new age hippie lady played by Emma Thompson. Who's awesome. Of course. Um, uh, reunited. They, they've worked together. This is the third time, right? 
Uh, let's see. They were in Stranger Than Fiction. Fiction. And Last Chance Harvey. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which I never saw. Yeah, um, me either. Anyway. Uh, and anyway, I don't want to go into it's, it's It's a really, really good movie. Uh, it's very funny. Um, it's full of great performances. Elizabeth Marvel especially gets a couple of the biggest, biggest laughs. There's one. There's, uh, it's, uh, I love laughs that are just about delivery because there's one where she's just like someone's offered to like she sees her her niece's new haircut and she's like, oh, that looks nice. He's like, oh, my friend did it. He could do it for you right now. And he's like, yeah, I've got scissors with me. And she just goes, OK. <laughs> like, she's like over, really excited about getting a new haircut. And it was one of the biggest laughs. There's also um, he uses uh, Bombach uses um, hard cuts for laughs mm. in a couple of places. Um, sometimes just cutting away from something very suddenly and sometimes cutting to something very suddenly and getting big, big laughs, uh, out of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really like, I feel like when it comes to Noah Baumbach, we tend to talk about the, his sort of indie dramedy things, but he is, I think of him increasingly as a comedy director, especially after he made mistress America, which I would, describe as a comedy like mm-hmm. did you see it no uh, i would i would say whereas francis ha is something that sort of walks that line that sort sure. of indie dramedy thing i would say mistress america is a like a flat out comedy and mm-hmm. it's great um i really really love mistress america uh saw it twice in the theater um and uh that's it yeah check it out um, okay and then uh tv I know you wanted to talk about Kirby Enthusiasm, but I didn't watch, which I didn't watch yet. Yeah. Um, I real quick wanted to mention Project Runway. I haven't talked about it that much, but it's uh, of interest uh, for two reasons. One, this episode, um, Harvey Weinstein's name was no, no longer among the executive producers. Uh, Bob Weinstein still was. Um, but also, this was a sort of momentous episode because for this only the second time in Project Runway's very long history, um, someone was a contestant was kicked off the show. Uh, really? We had contestants like leave voluntarily for health reasons or for, for whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, there are only twice ever that a contestant was cheating. Because really? Basically, their their like main rule is that the work you do on your garments take place in the workroom. Or if it's a challenge where we're sending you to another place to do what you know that, yeah. but you can't work on your garments back when you're back at the hotel, and you can't have any uh, pattern books, which is what guy got a guy thrown off in season three, two or three, I want to say, and you can't have a measure, a tape measure, um, or even like a uh, pen and paper in your room, which mm-hmm. is what got someone thrown off this time. So it was fast. It was interesting to see someone yeah. uh, for only the second time in Project Runway history. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So Kirby enthusiasm, I will try not to, um, I will say that the, uh, up until this episode, the fatwa thing was Uh only so, so, uh, I think it didn't yield much. And then this episode, it yields some good stuff and there is a delightful cameo. Do you know what it is? Cause if so, then I'll say it. No, I don't. Okay. Then I'll keep it to myself. What I will say is the way this cameo works with someone playing themselves, the way this cameo works felt very extras to me. You remember that show? Oh yeah. I liked that show. It feels like that, but in the best possible way, um, in that, like it it takes somebody who is well respected and then just reduces them to like the dumbest, most base, uh, motivations. Um, so yeah, I liked, I liked that quite a bit, but, um, and then lastly, did did you have another TV show to talk about? Okay. 
Lastly, I did watch Patton Oswalt's new special uh, from Netflix called Annihilation, um, in which he talks about a number of things. He talks politics and he talks uh, about his wife dying and mm-hmm. him dealing with himself by himself, but also dealing with his daughter and, mm-hmm. and having to tell her. And it was, you know, it was, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I do like these types of stand up specials. I liked Chris Gethard's stand up special on uh, HBO where like they're very real, but the humor is still there yeah. and it feels like, you know, and you never can quite tell if somebody's laughing because like, ha, 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 I'll take what I can get. But his jokes are actually pretty funny. You know, you and I were saying off mic that, you know, Pat Oswalt used to be like my favorite standup. Like I bought his new album day one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very excited about it, but, um, but after a while, and this is kind of true of any comedian, yeah. you kind of get used to their deal their shtick one could say um and it's not that you find it it's not that you don't find it funny anymore it's just like okay all right they're they're falling into what they usually do right and um and you and i got kind of used to Patton a while ago um still funny still cre- still creative but not throwing you any curveballs right um this time around i think because he's being more serious he still he still like kind of goes off in his flights of fancy but they're couched in such a dark dark thing that I think it works really well. And I think his political material is very interesting as well. Um, and he just like his whole, he kicks off his Trump material in a way that I, in which he said he, he empathizes with him. He goes, I don't sympathize, but I empathize. It's just like, cause I remember at a white house correspondence dinner, Barack Obama made a joke about Trump and he clearly was just like, you know what? I'm going to take that son of the bitch's <laughs> job. And he's like, he goes, he did it for spite. He goes, Hey, I empathize. I've done all kinds of stupid shit out of spite, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's a really, yeah. he goes, but now that he's there, it's like, uh Oh, this job is terrible. You know? <laughs> and so I, I like that attitude and I like that point of view. Um, and it's just a, it's a, there are a couple extended bits that I'm like, mm, this probably could be it's like, you're making a couple leaps that I'm not really with you on, but there are others that are just absolutely delightful. Um, and it's, it's on Netflix and I, I do highly recommend it. Okay. Um, I was going to say, um, because I'm glad you mentioned Chris Gethard because I'm a, actually a big Chris Gethard fan. Yeah. Um, I haven't read his book yet. Uh, I think it's called A Dumb Thing I'm About to Do. Um, I really want to read it. But have you watched the Chris Gethard show? No, I haven't. It's great. It's so strange. It's just like... I believe it. It's completely chaotic. Like It really feels like... It, you know, I think it's a cliche to say like, this is a show where anything can happen, but it really feels like anything can happen. Yeah. And he embraces that because I think he truly loves people and he truly loves weirdos. And yeah, there's, that's... A, there's a, a very deep humanism to Chris Gathard that I really, really, uh, appreciate. Yeah. It's, I find his, his work very inspiring, yeah. uh, especially just like a willingness to be that vulnerable, um, is something that I really, admire um but yeah and this and this felt like it felt like that because how could it not okay. like it was very it was very public that Pat oswald's wife yeah. had died f- of unknown causes you know yeah. and so uh it felt like for him to just do a stand-up special and not address it but i don't know it's I, i'm interested to see what he does from now on because i feel like stuff like this can just change the tone of a person's uh comedy well, um, normally I do the glib thing where we just cut off, but I feel like that would be very disrespectful <laughs> at this yeah. point. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Go to the website. Go to the Fantasy Awards thing.